Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Thursday, May 20th, and I am joined, as I always am, by my neighbor, Max. Max, I have been growing my anxiety moment by moment so far today, and uh, the energy is palpable. It's time. Here we go. Toronto versus Montreal, a series 20 plus years in the making, the Leafs' best chance at making it past the first round in the playoffs in geez, I don't know how long, riding some awesome nervous energy as well. Also, um, Sports Next Door update, I am to probably no one's surprise quitting my job next week. So after one more podcast of me bitching and then no more complaining about work. So a lot going on. Quality of the podcast and the YouTube videos will go back up uh, as I have been splitting the duties and I'm just much worse at it than Max's. So uh, that is a good thing for all the listeners back home. Hey, no, I don't, we have to talk about this. Okay. All righty. Well, speaking of the podcast, which we're about to get uh, going just shortly, we will talk about the NBA playing games and then give some predictions uh, for the playoffs ahead. Uh, a little bit of combat corner, a little bit of baseball, uh, and a little bit of hockey that we're going to go over. And then we will do some time traveling. Uh, where will we have? Where we will have our reactions to Game One of the Leafs and Canadians uh, stitched in there. But right now we are recording at around six twenty Eastern, which is ahead of the game, uh, and then we'll do a little bit after that and and put it in. So it's going to be a good one. And uh, yeah, yeah, let's get right to it. We're we've got about an hour and ten, probably an hour and thirty, really, before the puck drops. So pitter patter, bud. Yes, sir. We will jump right into the association, and uh, we had a boring day of playing basketball, and then I had we had a much more exciting day of playing basketball. So I'm going to go in chronological order and start with the absolute snooze fest that was the Charlotte Hornets uh, and the Indiana Pacers. Indiana, man, you could just see the complete utter difference between a team that had never played any sort of playoff basketball and a team that had been in the playoffs, even if they hadn't experienced so much playoff success, they'd been in it for now a couple of years in a row. And the Pacers just brought a ton of energy and intensity and physicality, even not at 100%. Both, te- both teams had guys missing, uh, obviously Levert out and Turner out for the Pacers and the Hornets missing uh, Gordon Hayward. But the Pacers just completely dominated uh, O'Shea Brissett, a guy the Raptors cut, midway through the season, a Canadian was awesome and has been great for them for the late run of the season with the injuries they've had. And Sabonis puts up a huge rebounding total and and was all over this game. And just the Pacers really took it to the Hornets and uh, yeah, playoff experience really showed there and and a big blow when uh, Doug McDermott was, he caught fire right off the beginning, was just hitting threes everywhere. And the Hornets looked sort of lost and and that's the first lumps that this group will take obviously they'll be back um especially with lamella ball and miles bridges as their two like younger core pieces and then pj washington as well and uh jane mcdaniels so the hornets will be back but yeah they really got punched in the mouth and kind of a sour note to end a fun season that they had we move on to the night game uh the celtics and the wizards um another one that tried to raise the excitement level but just it really was tough to get into this game and and Jason Tatum uh without Jalen Brown drops 50 points which seemed to not get enough attention like it is not that common where you get 50 points in a quote-unquote playoff game if that's what we're calling these and he did it uh obviously like you can see that the Wizards they've had such a great late stretch and and now they're finally into this great spot and Bradley Beal's dealing with a hamstring injury and Russell Westbrook, I think has, has been bit, beat up a bit over the last couple of weeks and he just didn't have his best game. Uh, and the Celtics are in to the playoffs and it will be the wizards and the 
Indiana Pacers playing for the eighth seed, and there is going to be absolutely zero defense played in that game. So looking forward to the absolute score fest, which will be going on tonight. All right, we have our second day of play in action, kicking off with the Memphis Grizzlies and the San Antonio Spurs and the Grizzlies. It was a tight game uh, in the end, but it was a wide gap in the beginning of this game, and then it got tightened up uh, as we got down the final stretch. I think two smaller market teams, so the interest wasn't there the same, especially with the game that was about to come afterwards. Uh, but hey, lots of CanCon for us, and, and not just Canadian players, but guys who had played for the Raptors involved in this game. Dylan Brooks was really, really fantastic, playing uh, hard-nosed defense on DeMar, who had a really tough night. Where have we seen that before? DeMar struggling in playoff games. Uh, five of 21 from the field and Dylan Brooks on the other side puts in 24 of his own really great contribution and then Jonas Valanciunas really dominating like such an old school guy who's now become really underrated in today's NBA but he puts up 23 and 23 and was just dominant uh, all over the place tipping out balls getting rebounds uh, establishing a presence inside really old school but it helps with this Memphis team that they have a guy they can give the ball to and he can go get them a bucket over a, in this new age where there aren't a lot of big centers that can, can bang with him. So then Memphis awaits the loser of the Los Angeles Lakers and the Golden State Warriors. And this game was met all of the hype that it was built up to be um, unbelievable. This will probably be the most watched game of the season, unless somehow these two teams once again meet in the playoffs later, which is like not going to happen. But the two biggest stars on the planet, LeBron James and Steph Curry, uh, the Lakers and the Warriors. And the Warriors came out and took it to the Lakers right from the beginning. Uh, Andrew Wiggins had a really, really solid game uh, and some early, like, great defensive possessions on LeBron. Uh, obviously, AD, Schroeder, and LeBron all struggled from the field to start. I think they were, like, 2 of 20 from the field or something in the first two quarters. Um, and... Yeah, just it felt like even with Steph Curry being like harassed and followed by two players almost every possession, the Warriors were making some shots when it was given to the uh, hands of other players. And, and on the defensive side, like you forget Draymond Green, man, he stepped it up in this big game and he is seemingly everywhere on the defensive end. And he is fantastic. He is an absolute force. Um and it was really a defensive slugfest where the Lakers just looked a little bit more rusty. And then the second half, they turned it on and cut it close. And Curry made some ridiculous shots down the stretch, was still being bothered all the time by Caruso, by KCP. Um, and it came down right to the end. And LeBron hits this crazy buzzer-beating 30-footer with about a minute left to go. Uh, the Warriors miss a shot in the corner where Jordan Poole was literally surrounded by like six Lakers bench players all yelling at him who are all standing up. Um, that's got to be an impossible shot to hit when you've got all those guys leaning over you as you're trying to take an open corner three. And then uh, Lakers don't get a bucket and the Warriors, they were hoping to get another magical transition three from Steph, which we've seen time and time again. Uh, he gets doubled and it takes them too long to be to call a timeout and reset things. And by then they really only had two seconds left and, and the Lakers de chomp down. And um, yeah, a really, really big win for the Lakers. I think the Warriors really surprised a lot of people with the intensity that they came out with, but this was a really great game and awesome defense by both sides. I think if you, if Steph can have a couple of his Inferno games, uh, first, they have to get through Memphis in this final playing game. I think they could actually be a real problem for the Jazz just with the way that this team uh, plays defense. And, and they were a top 10 team in defense this year. I think even they were top five. I think they were fifth in defensive rating this year. So a deceptive part of this team. Uh, and they got a, got a lot of guys who are willing to get in the trenches and, and fight for the ball and uh, hustle. And uh, I don't think like Phoenix and Utah, these are probably two of the worst matchups you could draw if you're going into a first round series, the Lakers and the Warriors. So uh, it just means it's going to be awesome playoff basketball. Uh, Max, I'm not sure if you have any thoughts about, about this last game. Yeah, I did catch the last like 10 minutes of it. And 
yeah, if you're Adam Silver, you literally couldn't ask for anything better than LeBron hitting like a clutch buzzer beater three to win the game in like a neck and neck slugfest. Uh, maybe a little more money on the Warriors going into the first round if they're playing in a game with even refing. I felt really bad for them from what I watched. Like I saw Wiggins get called on a charging foul with a screen that looked like it was pretty moving. And then three, four minutes later, Draymond gets called for the same screen as a foul that they called for the Lakers against the Warriors. And you mentioned the uh, timeout. And I thought Steve Kerr was screaming for a lot longer than yeah. if they had had two seconds on the clock, they might've had a better shot at drawing something up. So I, I was talking with my friend about this today and at some point I get it. You just have to shut off that part of your brain and like shut up and watch them play. Cause you're only hurting your own enjoyment. And I really did the type of basketball I hate the most is two minutes left in the game and they're just trading layup drives to see who can get fouls called. So I'm grateful it wasn't that kind of game, but as entertaining and tense as it was, I can't shut up that little part of my brain. It's like, I can easily swing some of the foul calls like for six easy points to the Warriors and that game doesn't happen. Yeah, I, I think those are the ones that stand out um, because in the end, the Warriors are the losing team. Um, I think it was actually called fairly consistently throughout the game. Uh, obviously, with two guys like LeBron and Anthony Davis, you're just always going to have that free throw discrepancy. And that's just kind of built into the game. And it seems like everyone kind of accepts that. Um, but we'll get to it. I think you can make the same argument for hockey right now. The refs have been pretty have had their hands in a lot of these games as well so it's always going to be something that's prevalent in 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 all of these sports and obviously officiating is something you just got to deal with and uh hopefully nothing too egregious happens and that's why we have replay but uh yeah there's going to be a couple more moments down the stretch in the nba and in the nhl where refing is going to uh make a big swing so we move on to our playoff picks, and obviously uh, we have to kind of get these in before the playoffs start this weekend, but they are incomplete now without our eight seeds. Um, I don't think in either conference it's going to make a difference for me in my picks, um, but we will start in the East, uh, and it will be the Philadelphia 76ers going up against either <laughs> the Indiana Pacers or the Washington Wizards. And in that series, I have Philly. They are the like most dominant defensive team, I would say, consistently this season. The Lakers finish with the number one rating in defense, but I think Philly just has guys that can do it on both sides all season. Embiid obviously can be defensive player of the year if he's healthy. And Ben Simmons has maybe it could be argued to be defensive player of the year this year with just how he can guard one through five. And he's been unbelievable this season and really like taken an ownership of how he wants to dominate on the defensive end and overall like number one seed right philly just has the team that is going to roll through whoever who whoever comes out of this eight seed and i think it's lined up for them to have a, a good shot at making it to the nba finals this year yeah we were talking a couple podcasts back about like who can guard and beat and it took a lot of moving parts to like hypothesize maybe that could happen on some of the plays. Um, be probably a little more interesting if it's Sabonis and the Pacers, then I can't think of anyone on the Wizards. But Well, you got Robin Lopez, maybe, who you could throw at him, or Alex Len. At least they're like big, but yeah, there's really no one in the league who can really match up with, it, with uh, Joel Embiid. Right. All right. Brooklyn and Boston. And this one's a fun one because we've got Kyrie visiting a team that he played for. Uh, and obviously we get to see the three-headed monster finally in action in playoff basketball for Brooklyn. Max, who do you got? We've got to go Brooklyn, especially with Jalen Brown out for the Celtics. And I don't know the condition of Marcus Smart either. Uh, he's healthy right now. Okay. I remember I saw him go out early against the Wizards, but which that's what I'm really disappointed about. I would have 
been fascinated to, to, to see how smart Brown and Tatum can match match up against Kyrie, Harden, and Durant defensively. Like that, just in terms of size, position, that seems like the most suitable three you could pick in the East potentially. But yeah, with the way the season just has not gone the Celtics way whatsoever and the way it's gone for the Nets, hard to argue though. I think we were talking about this off air. I It seems like a certainty of how scary the three-headed monster was going to be. Now it kind of seems like a question mark. Is it going to be able to stay healthy? So that's my only reservation there. Yeah, I think they've been so careful waiting for this. Like they've got the two seed without like playing all their guys at the same time. It's it's kind of ridiculous how much success they've had. And Steve Nash should be in probably in the top five consideration for coach of the year with what he's had to deal with, with all the different lineups. Um, and they've made some great acquisitions to put around these top three guys. Uh, I think low key Marcus Smart is going to have so much trouble dealing with either James or Kyrie because uh, Marcus thrives in those matchups where he's matched up against bigger guys uh, where he can really use his physicality, but the smaller, shiftier guys actually give him a little bit of trouble now. I think he's a lot of he's lost a bit of his lateral foot speed. Um, and then, yeah, they're like this Celtics team has just had a has had bad vibes all season, and they've struggled and they've rolled over a ton. And so, while you might have a couple games from Tatum where he's going to go off, uh, it's just not going to be enough to match this overwhelming Nets offense. I think the most intriguing matchup in the East is this next one. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks visiting the ghosts of bubble past, uh, facing the Miami heat who are the defending Eastern conference champions. Um, yeah, I will go first on this one. I have the bucks and I think they are going to get over the hump here. It's a tough first draw and they, in theory, to get to the finals, the Bucks have to go through Miami, Brooklyn, and then Philly, which is an absolute gauntlet. But I think the first step they'll be able to accomplish, Drew Holiday, huge acquisition. Uh, P.J. Tucker, another one where if he can produce even like 80% of what he was on those Rockets teams, that's really, really valuable for them. And yeah, I think Giannis has figured out a little bit more that he can just dominate the first 46 minutes of a game. And then late, he doesn't have to be taking those like jump shots. He's got Chris Middleton and Drew, who are both perimeter oriented guys who can do that for him. Uh, and I just think no, or Miami, sorry, has no wing depth to guard uh, really any of these guys. Butler will probably be placed on, on Middleton or Drew, but he also got to do it on the offensive end. So I think no, Miami's not going to have enough size to really match up with these guys. Yeah, it's an, in the past, like you look at the two star players and they're kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. You've got Butler, who maybe isn't that like relative to NBA superstars that remarkable during the NBA regular season. But then, like, come playoffs, come like the clutch minutes is just so huge. And then Giannis, like two time MVP, like on the leading teams, with, like those Milwaukee teams were just fire um who seems to struggle down the stretch and i think the gambit that the bucks made is like okay let's trade get rid of some of the cap space we're using for like depth that definitely helped us during the regular season because that doesn't do much for us come playoff time and use that on drew holiday and this is where we see if that gambit paid off or not i I think if the Bucks are going to run through that gauntlet, a team like Miami that has that playoff intangibility and is really, you can almost be certain, going to bring the pressure and intensity, like the Bucks need to acclimate to that to have a shot at beating those other teams. So I, I don't know if... Milwaukee has like figured it out. I don't know if Miami's gonna like rear that like playoff if like Hero Robinson are gonna return back to form. Uh, I don't have a pick on this one, but I agree with you that it is for sure the most interesting. The X factor in this series is the shooting, and if Miami can can really turn it up and and start putting the ball in the the basket at a high rate from beyond the arc, then 
that's going to swing things because uh, it's a battle of coaches where Spolstra is so versatile in the looks that he throws on both sides of the ball. And Budenholzer seems a lot more set in his ways. And he plays that drop coverage with Lopez. They, they've experimented with a little bit more switching this year, Milwaukee. But uh, it's something where if, if Miami finds something that starts working, it will be interesting to see how Budenholzer adapts to that adjustment. And I just don't know if he can do that. So Milwaukee has to have some early success in order to, to uh, win this series. Because if Miami even takes game one, the, the sky will be falling uh, in Wisconsin. <laughs> All right, we'll go to our final series here in the East, uh, the New York Knicks and the Atlanta Hawks. This is a fun one. Two teams who have not been in the playoffs in a while with two young cores. Um, really, really fun matchup. It's a team that's built more on grit and defense against a team that is running gun and they're going to score a ton of points. And in this series, I'm going to take the Atlanta Hawks because I think their talent level is more overwhelming. And I tend to lean with the team that is more talented uh, over a team that is built on grit and grind and may struggle to uh, score the basketball late in these games. Um, in the end, it's really going to come down to can the Knicks score enough and uh, can the Hawks play enough defense? Um, I think Madison Square Garden might have an impact in this series. So if the Knicks can win a couple of these games, especially if they can get one in Atlanta, that will really help their cause. But I'm going to go in Atlanta here because I just think they have too much offensive creativity. Whereas when the things really start to get in that half-court setting, the Knicks are really going to struggle to create offense, whereas I think Atlanta just has enough firepower to, to uh, help them succeed in those late-game scenarios. This one, I think, is going to go seven, though. And you think the Hawks are good enough defensively to stop a lackluster offense? I think you can hide Trey Young somewhere on this Knicks roster because they don't have necessarily like five guys who can really attack you. And then Clint Capella has been super underrated and really, really strong this season. And they have enough wings. Like DeAndre Hunter can get in front of someone, uh, bug or, uh, yeah. Gallinari, not the best defender, but he's a body that can get in front of people. Uh, Herter Bogdanovich, they compete. It, yeah. They're going to struggle defensively Atlanta as well. But I think when it, it comes down to it, they, these guys have never been in this situation. I think they can elevate the compete level enough to make it difficult on the Knicks to, to score the basketball. Sounds convincing to me. I'll go with Atlanta for similar reasons. All righty. Uh, we'll move on to the West, where we have the Utah Jazz taking on the winner of the Golden State Warriors and the Memphis Grizzlies. And Max, I'll let you go first for this one. Steph Curry is going to take over against the Grizzlies and against the Jazz. Draymond is going to help out. The perimeter defense is going to be there. And the Warriors are going to make it to the second round of the NBA playoffs. A hot take. All righty. I like it, uh, especially with the injury concerns of Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell, who I think they held out just to make sure that they were 100% going into this first round. Um, I'm going to go Utah here because of the, again, the overwhelming talent disparity and golden state showed me a ton in this Lakers game where I think they could probably fight and, and make this game six or seven game series. Um, but I worry the Lakers were rusty. They had trouble generating offense. And so golden State's defense maybe gets a little bump from that. Whereas Utah is an absolute machine. It's these two, two to four really creative ball handlers on the perimeter with Rudy Gobert diving to the basket. I think you'll see Golden State pull out a lot more switching, if, especially if they try and run Draymond at the five because they're not scared of Gobert beating them. But I think Conley, Mitchell, Bogdanovich, uh, Joe Ingles, there's just, and Jordan Clarkson, there's enough guys who can create their own shot on this Jazz team that they're going to have enough firepower and, and, Again, the Jazz, like with the continuity, are also a really solid defensive team. And so they'll be chasing Curry around a lot. And, and it, this series will come down to the uh, role players of the Warriors. And I just don't know if they have enough. There's a reason why they were the eight seed this season. Our next series uh, is probably going to be the 
most watched. I don't know if it will be the most intriguing, uh, but it definitely will be interesting. The Phoenix Suns and the Los Angeles Lakers. Phoenix, since 2011, had not made the playoffs. They're finally in, and this is who they draw as their first-round opponent. As a Suns fan, you just got to be scratching at your eyes, but also excited because this is a young team that is going to get the absolute best challenge you could possibly have in a first-round series. If Chris Paul can pull out this series, it will immensely increase his stock in terms of a playoff uh, performer. And, yeah, I think he he definitely has – I think Phoenix's backcourt has the defined advantage here. Uh, And, like, Booker and Paul will be able to score at will. Uh, I think Caruso and Casey P, solid defenders, but there's a level of shot-making from these two in Phoenix's backcourt that is just elevated. It's on a different level. Uh, but I think the difference in the series is just the sheer size of, of the Lakers. So you can run LeBron out there. He's, he might have a little bit of trouble with Mikael Bridges, but he's got that strength as opposed to Bridges being able to stay in front of people laterally. And then Anthony Davis, Phoenix has no one to guard him. It is going to be a, a bit of a massacre. Like I don't think Cam Johnson, Dario Sarge, Aiton, any of those guys can really stay in front of him. Uh, Kaminsky either. And then you've got a center that you run out there. I think we'll see a little bit more Marc Gasol uh, in order to match up with DeAndre Aiden, but you also have Andre Drummond and you also have Montrez Harrell. So just so much of big versatility for the Lakers. And I think the physicality is going to overpower the Suns in the series. And I'm going to take the Lakers. I love this matchup. You put it so well there. Like it's the bigs of the Lakers versus the guards of the Suns, like each team holding an absolute respective advantage there I bridges against uh, LeBron I guess is kind of the first like if he can't do enough to contain and admittedly aging and somewhat injured LeBron so there's some hope there then we probably don't get too too far into the intricacies but I'm gonna go against your pick and say that the guards of Phoenix are just going to be too much to handle, especially after watching the Lakers really struggle to contain Curry, who did not have a got another guard with him of like similar ability. You mentioned the pool shot. So I, I think that uh, Paul and Booker are going to exploit the holes in the guard defense, and the Suns are going to get it done and upset the Lakers. Alrighty, two underdog picks. Uh, Denver and Portland. And the MVP, most likely, of the NBA season, going up against uh, another probably top five MVP finisher in Damian Lillard. Portland, this was huge for them to get out of the play-in tournament and, and secure a six seed and get healthy because this team has struggled with injuries all season. Um, they have been horrendously bad on defense but so have the Nuggets. Like the Nuggets low-key have been a a pretty poor defensive team. Jokic has been unbelievable. Michael Porter Jr. has taken a step up, but Denver's really going to miss Jamal Murray in this series. And Damian Lillard just elevates his game in the playoffs. I think Nurkic is going to be a little bit more healthy and is actually going to be a pretty solid guy to defend Nikola Jokic. Um, Like he has the, the just sheer size and some of the uh, instincts that can match up with Jokic. And so it's, it's actually a poor matchup for the Nuggets to draw here because they will have no one to, to defend McCollum and, and Dame. And it's, this series is truly going to come down to what they get out of Porter. If Michael Porter Jr. can average mid-20s, then the Nuggets have a real shot at this series. But otherwise, you could see another great performance from Damian Lillard and uh, them getting upset in this series, I'm actually going to take Portland in seven. I hate picking this series. I, if I could pick one team to win a ring, it would be Portland. Just for Lillard's sake, I'm, I really hope to see that before his career is over. But I, I'm going to go with uh, the Nuggets. I don't think it matters how well you can guard the scoring of Jokic. It's everything else he does that there is no answer for it other than like perfect five-man defense. Our final series, the Los Angeles Clippers and the Dallas Mavericks, a rematch of last year's first round that saw some absolute Luka magic 
and I cannot wait to see him do it again. But I have to go with the Clippers because of, again, the talent discrepancy. Um, this Clippers team is maybe the most talented team on paper besides the Lakers. Uh, they tank out of the three spot to finish fourth in order to get this Dallas matchup because it works for them. Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, great, as great a matchup as you could have on Luka as anyone in the league. And they've finally got all their team healthy. They get another shot at uh, redeeming themselves after the playoff just collapsed last season. And Tyron Lou has been great for them. Uh, I think they're, they are going to play way above the level of a four seed. It seems wild because they were the two seed at the beginning of this season. Kawhi and Paul George have been load managed. They're ready to go. They're fresh, uh, even fresher than last season because the pandemic just screwed things up. And, and I see the Clippers, ha again, setting themselves up here to have a pretty decent run towards the, the conference finals. So I'm going with the Clippers. Yeah, the only pick in the side of the conference we're agreeing on. Uh, Clip, it was close, but the Clippers beat them last time. And I don't really see the Mavericks as having taken any of the steps forward um, since last season. If anything, there's been a bit of regression. So, and whereas the Clippers, I think, have, I guess they've finished slower, but it seems more likely that they've had like some hard questions and I guess we'll see if they've come up with the answers, but I'm going with the Clippers. All righty. So there you have it. Those are first round NBA picks. I'm going to do Max. I can get a quick finals prediction from you. Uh, I'm sticking with mine at the beginning of the season. I went Lakers nets. And since both of those teams are still here and they're both still favored, I got to stick with it. I can't really switch up. So I'm sticking Nets Lakers as my NBA finals prediction. Who you got? All right. I'm gonna go Suns 76ers. I like it. I like it. The Barkley Cup, as one might call it. <laughs> All right, we'll take a quick break and we'll come back for some combat corner. For some combat corner. Uh, Max, what do you got for us today? Yeah, I'm gonna take a break from the normal fight previews and recaps. And I wanted to talk about some news that came across my feed this week in the combat world. George St. Pierre in an interview recently said that, or admitted that he had a potential boxing match with Oscar De La Hoya, one of the, a former like generational talent at one time pound for pound best boxer in the world uh, with Thriller, Triller, the new boxing promotion taking the world by storm one way or another. And that that fight fell through because Dana White nixed it. This is, as a backdrop to this, at a recent press conference, Dana White was calling like the trailer people fucking idiots, saying like, don't talk to me about them. I don't want to hear about them. Screw them, basically. And the trailer CEO has been kind of nonstop social media, like tweeting, Instagram posting at Dana. It's not surprising at all if you followed the UFC's business making decisions over the years. The only exception to this would be the Conor McGregor Floyd Mayweather fight, which raised the stardom level of Conor McGregor. Uh, the UFC got a massive cut of even like you saw Dana White at the McGregor Mayweather press conferences. So just from a PR perspective, they were getting their face and their image there. There's UFC on the backdrops and this would not have been that kind of thing at all. A good chunk of the money would have gone to charity. It would have signaled UFC or George St. Pierre's break from the UFC and kind of cemented that he wasn't returning. And really, other than, oh, this former UFC champion, beyond that, it wouldn't have done much for them. And it just they had not a lot to gain by this. And that was enough for them to nix it. They're able to nix it, of course, because the contracts are incredibly stifling, just keeping the athletes they have from ever competing. And they have this business. It's hopefully the antitrust lawsuit that is currently ongoing will allow us to see more into behind the world of the contracts because we only really know what the fighters say. The promotion's very tight-lipped about it. Uh, this certainly 
resembles monopolistic behavior. I mean, St. Pierre hasn't fought since 2017. And before that, I think it was 2012. So he's basically fought once in the last nine years for this company, and they're still able to prohibit him from getting into a boxing match uh, because they have him under contract. And you might think, oh, well, fighters just have to be careful of their timing. We have to like they just have to like fight out their contract, but the UFC will wall install you if they want to keep you locked up. They just won't let you fight if they think your stock is on the rise without signing a contract with additional extensions. Um, like I said, this is all behind the scenes, non-public, but Jorge Masvidal was very public about fighter treatment in recent, the past year and a half or so the thing I remember with the UFC 251 situation where he got it, the fight on six days notice, uh, there was a quote from him that was niggling in the back of my mind. I looked it up and found it when Ariel Hawani asked him, I think he said it multiple times, but the one I found was an interview with Ariel Hawani where Ariel asked, so did you sign a one fight like deal for this to make it happen or an extension and Masvidal said verbatim you want to get paid you got to sign a 10 fight contract every fucking time so there's a stat I remember seeing of like basically the higher ranked a fighter is going all the way to champion the more fights on average they have on their contract so something like a fighter outside the top 15 has on average like three fights on their contract a fighter in the top 15 is something like five fights on average on their contract, whereas a champion has an average of six fights left on their contract. So it's just shitty. It, it's not surprising. I just wanted to highlight that and talk about it a little. Uh, yeah, it's a shame that would have been really interesting and really fun and awesome for GSP, but it's not going to happen. Hopefully this antitrust lawsuit succeeds and we will see some cracking in the walls that is the UFC monopolistic company. That's going to wrap up this combat corner. And we have time traveled to the end of the Toronto Maple Leafs and Montreal Canadiens game. Um, and the vibes here are, are conceitedly different than they were couple hours ago and I personally didn't even want to do this anymore but um, my only analysis from this game is I hope Johnny's okay and that that has to have had a major effect on this game and we sleep it off and we come back on Saturday and hopefully it's different yeah I just <laughs> the trauma is already there for me I'm pretty crushed. Yeah, it's just straight PTSD to losing in the playoffs. Uh, it felt like they were just so much more successful with their physicality. I, that's their style of play. We're obviously a more skilled team, so I'm not saying we should match it. It's just frustrating to feel like they were really knocking us over and we were more nudging them unless it was like Bogosian or uh, Hyman getting in on the hits and yeah Johnny it scared me the way he tried to stand up and his neck kind of folded out so we'll see and uh, man I, we got a YouTube comment I don't know if you read it but it was challenging the idea that uh, Spets and Thornton in particular are undervalued and after that watching Thornton on the power play I've really got to agree with it the man does look like he needs a walker out there and just everything he does with the puck the team the Canadians were able to swarm us and just too slow for the playoff speed and that resulted in the giveaway that got them that shorthanded game winner so that's all I got when you're the underdog you have nothing to lose right and this Canadians team played with nothing to lose it was throw everything everywhere. And the whole goal when you're the underdog and everyone's picked against you is to just do things that muck up the game. And if you're the Leafs team and you're more skilled, you have to come out with 
that same mentality that you have nothing to lose because Montreal just played harder. That's it. And yeah, I, the eternal optimist within me doesn't like the Thornton performance, but I also think these old guys need a bit of ramp to get themselves back and going because Thornton two weeks ago was maybe the third best player on the team, the way he was going, he's point per game over a week and dishing out hits and getting under guys skin. And everyone then was like, Oh my gosh, he's got to stay in the lineup now. So it could be a one-off and he just needs it to get going. Or if you see the similar things, that's the thing about this team is we have the depth and it's going to get tested now. Cause I, don't imagine JT's back for the rest of the season. Um, center is a position we're actually weakest at um, because of how quickly it can turn. You can have it as a strong suit and then you lose one of your top guys and then immediately you're, you're shallow down the middle. But uh, definitely have a ton of wingers that we can throw in there and see if you could get a little bit of life. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's so tough to do this right afterwards. It's, it hurts. <laughs> I think that's all we got. So we can move along to our other hockey notes. Yeah. And I was trying, I was going to, again, this was stuff that was going to be more upbeat, but the, the mood is just so different. Um, Carolina is up to nothing in their series against Nashville. The, re- the only takeaways I had from this really is, um, the Hurricanes arena is rocking. Philip Forsberg's mustache is just beautiful. Also gross, but beautiful. And uh, Alex Nedeljkovic has been showing out, playing like prime Carey Price. And, you know, who else is playing like prime, prime Carey Price? Carey Price. Um, Washington, Boston. Boston up 2-1. Marshawn is very active in this series. He's all over the place and getting away with stuff, just like we knew he would. It's nice to see him get away with it against other teams, and Washington's been giving it back a little bit. But a just brutal giveaway by Ilya Samsonov in overtime, and Boston scores and and take a 2-1 series lead, which is big for them. They haven't really played that great in the series so far. So to have a lead is, you got to be feeling pretty confident if you're them. Very, the tightest series for sure so far. Uh, Florida tonight, getting it back, getting back in the series, a huge road win in Tampa after losing two at home. Uh, this series has been all over the place. You could really see, similar to what I talked about in the basketball segment earlier, the playoff expertise really showing for Tampa, but Florida with a gritty comeback win, tie it up and win it in overtime. Um, And so they're back in this series and that's huge for them. Uh, Both Vegas and Pittsburgh evened up their series and then Pittsburgh takes the lead tonight on a a tight 5-4 win over the Islanders. It looks like they're starting to figure things out. Jeff Carter's been awesome so far in this series. and if you're the Islanders, you really got to tighten things up because the, the scores are getting a little high for the type of hockey that they want to be playing. And then obviously the Vegas game is just underway. So we won't know the result of that by the end of this pod. And then we had uh, Edmonton and Winnipeg kick off last night in Winnipeg. Big shocker. <laughs> Similar to the game we just watched, all the experts had one team penciled in and Winnipeg came out and and gave it to him. And I honestly don't know what's worse. If, if you just get run out of your own building or if it's a tight game that comes down to a terrible injury and a shorthanded goal, I really don't know what's worse, but um, Edmonton also in a hole. Yeah. (laughs) The sky is not falling yet for anyone. No, these series are long. Yeah, no one, no one's taken a three nothing lead, and the only team that has a chance to do that at this point, I think, is Colorado. So, some good tight playoff hockey all around. It seems like more games than not are ending within one goal, and uh, yeah, it's yeah, Colorado though, 
take a two nothing lead, but then Kadri, he might be out for the rest of this series with that hit that he threw. And um, why the Leafs moved away from him, right? Is because he's a great player and he's a guy you want to have in the playoffs, but sometimes he just loses his mind and it costs the Leafs both of those series, 2017 or 2018, 2019 to the Bruins. And now it's going to cost the avalanche here if he misses out on this series and maybe even a little bit more depending on i i don't know if he's considered a repeat offender that might actually help him in the same way that it helped tom wilson uh the 18 month turnover but like at this rate what he got all the series against boston he could get 10 games for that sort of hit um so that's a big one and that could really swing that series if if he's out yeah i mean the guy does seem to get put on teams maybe because of that, like where he's not ever going to be the top player. Uh, definitely hurts the Colorado depth, which I guess we'll stay tuned. I man, I'm so crushed. All right, let's get away from hockey, shall we? Uh, we have the Washington Wizards crushing the Indiana Pacers in the play-in game uh, and claiming the eighth seed. So they will be going up against the Philadelphia 76ers. Bradley Beal with 25. Russell Westbrook with like like video game type numbers, um, 18, 8, and 15. Um, almost another triple-double. And yeah, the Wizards just run the Pacers out. You got to imagine the Pacers with some of the injuries they'd sustained and just not a great matchup for them in terms of who they had to go up against. And the Wizards turned things around after a tough loss to Boston. They come back, and even with some of the injuries they're facing, they're able to pull it out. And uh, Their yeah. reward is the 76ers. <sighs> yeah, but it should be interesting. I, like The 76ers have guys who can absolutely gobble up Westbrook and Beal and and Embiid is going to score like 40 a game in this series. <laughs> All right, we'll move on to baseball where as I'm speaking, the Blue Jays just choked a lead to the Red Sox in the top of the ninth. Um, giving up, I believe, a three-run homer. And that is Rafael Dolis, who just got activated off the injured list, blowing the save. Uh, the Jays were down 5 nothing to start this game, clawed their way back up 7-5, and, and they give it away. Uh, so great night for Toronto sports all the way around. Um, and I was going to say, if they had pulled this one out, it would have been a successful one series again for the Jays against the Red Sox. It still could happen. Um, but, yeah, the Jays just hanging in there like – the, the Red Sox are half a game up on the Rays, a game up on the Yankees, and a game and a half up on the Jays, which could become two and a half by the end of tonight. But they are all so tightly packed in. I think the Jays go to the Rays next for four games, which would be a huge series. Like every series against the AL East this season is going to be massive because all four of these teams are just a gauntlet to go through. And, and that's why they all have like the best combined record out of any of the other top four in, in the other divisions. So tough if you're a Jays fan that that this is the division you got to play in, but sometimes you got to beat the best to be the best. And then uh, Alex Manoa's most recent start gives up his first run of the season on a home run, but strikes out 10. He's still looking dominant. And uh, yeah, <laughs> if, if we get blown saves like this from Rafael Delis, we could see Manoa coming up sooner rather than later, but still really, really early. Speaking of pitching, uh, we had two more no-hitters over this uh, last weekend. Spencer Turnbull of the Tigers and Corey Kluber of the Yankees during the fifth and sixth no-hitters of the season already. Just more evidence of what we've been talking about of just pitchers being able to miss bats at a higher rate and, and offense really being down this season. Um, and then I guess the main story in baseball this year is Shohei Otani leading the majors in home runs at 14 so far and hitting like absolute dogecoin bombs um and then 
also has a 2.1 ERA and actually leads the league in opponents batting average, which is just ridiculous. I believe they're calling it a once in a century season. Quite literally, because Babe Ruth played in the 1920s. So yeah. it's, actually, <laughs> like, it's been like 101 years since these numbers were put up. It's unfathomable. And I pinch myself that I'm not watching more of it because the dude is like, if you just see him, he's a monster. I didn't know they built people like that in Japan. <laughs> like, it's freaky. And he is just so awesome to watch. Um, and just looking forward to more of it. And fingers crossed he can keep it going and staying healthy because, yeah, he is just a different breed. And with Mike Trout now out with an injury, for a couple of weeks, the Angels are really going to need him because even with those two top guys, they're just treading water in their division and could be at risk of wasting another year of these two guys' careers. Yeah, happy for the Japanese fans. They got something like that to get behind because there's clearly a lot of passion there. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I am going to probably go cry a bit and then go yeah. to bed. <laughs> And uh, get up uh, tomorrow and hear the endless chirps from coworkers and Twitter alike. Uh, thank God it's a long weekend. So I can really like get out, enjoy the weather, play some video games, just smack a CPU on the easiest difficulty to make myself feel better. Give, give your team a Leafs jersey, whatever you're playing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't have Chelva. I'm going to have to get it. I got to wait until they put it on sale. That's, that's the play. All righty. Thank you so much for listening. And, and I'm sure actually some of you just tuned in to see what our reaction would be to the game tonight. And, and if so, here you are. Congrats. Revel in it. It's not the first time. <laughs> Definitely won't be the last. But let's manifest some positive leaf synergy. Simulation overlords, please whatever you have against this franchise, please uncurse it. Sports Next Door signing off.